It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just stooped to look at the ground on a footpath deep in a woodland in Gloucestershire to look at an eggshell. It is perfect pale blue with spots, probably a blackbird's shell. And I'm exploring while I'm on the edge of this glorious ancient woodland and it's full of birdsong. I've heard all sorts of things this morning. Bluebells, carpet floor, there are, well, you know, that chiff chaff, very persistent chiff chaff. Lime trees, wild service trees, wooden enemies, bugle, these little spikes of blue flowers, which look a little bit like bluebells from a distance, but lovely on the edge of the, of the wood here. And the stitch walk, it's a really fabulous time of year to garden and see woodland wildflowers and hear the birds. But I'm not adventuring with birds and wildflowers today. I'm heading on to Tewkesbury in the River Severn to talk fish. Welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, I'm the host of the podcast. And in this season 12, we're exploring wild landscapes and wild sounds of Britain. And I'm looking at I'm hoping to find a slightly different angle on our wildlife, going beneath the waters of the Severn to see what lurks beneath and what's migrating upstream and to hear about some of the projects that are opening up this mighty river to the fish populations. I think a story of great hope. Before I go, I'm just going to linger a little longer in this woodland, watching the hawthorn come into leaf. I'm just going to immerse myself in a precious hour or two of spring. Where, where are we? So we're standing just on the edge of the Seven Ham water meadows, um, which are a site of special scientific interest. They're really beautiful at this time of year. And it's our approach to the river and the weir where we take volunteers to look out for shad. For shad coming up the stream. So We've just crossed the river, this is the Avon, and we're heading out across the meadows to, to the River Severn. And so we're right at the confluence of those two, two big rivers. That's right, it's one of the reasons that this area has so much flooding to contend with. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know Tewkesbury has quite a relationship with the rivers around us. Absolutely, yeah. and this is actually a water meadow, flood meadow, so okay, it's very rich. Really, really interesting. So tell me about yourself, so you, you are Jenny? So my name is Jenny Hermley and I'm the communications manager for Unlocking the Severn. Oh, okay. Unlocking the Seven, and you're Alice. And I'm Alice Deans, I'm the volunteering officer for Unlocking the Seven, so I manage the volunteers that do the counting monitoring down here. 
Brilliant. Okay, so we're unlocking the seven. Just very quickly, before we obviously we're going to go and see some of the unlocking in action. But what's just an overview of what that is for, for the listeners? So unlocking the seven is a conservation and a river engagement project. So our main focus is a, a rare species of fish called the trait shads that have been blocked from their spawning grounds since Victorian times, really. So what our project is putting in place is passage around these weirs, big obstacles in the river, for this particular fish that migrate from the sea upriver to spawn. But it's actually promoting better connectivity on the river for all fish species and for the overall health and ecology of the, the river system. Cool. I'm a sweet shed. Uh, we, we are, we're unlikely to see some today. I know we're going to go to a, a, a sort of fish watching place. That's the great sound of the countryside, the squeaky gate. <laughs> we're trying to get one in every podcast. <laughs> um, so, just, just, could you describe it for me? The, the shad. The shad, yeah. right. So, the shad, they're actually part of the herring family. Mm-hmm. Um, but unusually, unlike the rest of the herring, they come onto freshwater to spawn. Um, they're a silvery fish. When you lift them out of the water, they have all lovely iridescent colours of blues and pinks and purples um, and a forked tail. And they're really sort of streamlined in shape so they can swim really far and really fast. But one thing that they can't do is leap over obstacles and barriers. Like, for instance, you might think of a salmon leaping. Yes, OK. So they're not, they don't have that powerful sort of um, not inbuilt design to get over... And, and then there, so there are lots of obstacles on the river here, which are a problem. That's right. There's a whole series of weirs all along the river. The weir that we're walking to now is actually not one where we've had to put a fish pass. Um, the, the, the weirs further up get bigger and the head drop over the weir, so the difference in height between the level of the river above and below becomes much bigger. So it's much more of a barrier. Um, but all of the weirs have some effect on the fish. It's just that this weir they can pass over a notch and they're helped by the tidal effects that we still see at this part of the river. So the river, river rises high enough. And I just want to pause. The smell of hawthorn blossom is incredible along here, isn't it? It's like, a, like it's so springy. I think that's something I want to just get across. It's just, this is the first hawthorn flowers I've seen, but the smell is just mm. so heady. I love this time of year. It's my absolute it's favourite. It's wonderful. So why were weirs, why were there weirs built all over, up and down the river? What was the purpose of... The weirs that um, that we are putting passage around are navigation weirs. So obviously the River Severn is a huge river. It's the longest river in the country and it's always been a really important conduit for transport and trade. But in the Industrial Revolution, which kicked off further upriver in this part of the world, um, it became even more important and they wanted bigger barges carrying more heavy industrial goods and the manufactured goods back out of the black country as well. I see. So it was about um, making this river, this tidal river, um, easier for bigger boats to have reliable passage. When they put in the weirs, it is effectively a wall right across the river. So then they will dig a, the Victorian engineers dig a separate channel where they put the locks in and create these man-made islands in the river between the weirs and the the lock channel, mm. um, which is great for the boats, but unfortunately fish don't know how to use locks. No, no, they're not great at locks, <laughs> definitely. So you said this barrier's been in place and it's stopped the twait shad from getting up and down, but do they, how have they survived then? I mean, obviously a population has survived, but... Yeah, it was one of the things at the very start of the project that was um, a little bit unknown, um, because anecdotal evidence, we know that there are still some shad around, but what's happened is in the past... Um, the shad migration would have been really prolific, hundreds of thousands of these fish coming in a run up the river, all the local people would have known about it and you would have been able to kind of see it and catch the fish, they would have been plentiful. Really, when, so quite a big food supply yeah, then for all, all these riverside towns. Exactly, and you know you get a sense of it in some uh, places in America where they have related shad species and you can, s- local towns will celebrate the shad run and you know, the shad come through in just these vast numbers, and I think that's probably the best way to kind of get a sense of what it might have been like. But when they cut off access to the spawning grounds, then the effect on the population that were migrating into the river was almost immediate. Oh, so it was a kind of catastrophic population decline, and what we have now is a very small residual population. But somehow are, they've managed to keep breeding. Yeah, they've hung on in the lower part of the river, 
spawning in suboptimal habitat. Yeah. Um, we'll so that's what we have today. But we are hoping that we are going to turn around the fortunes for this fish because over time, once they have access to better quality spawning habitats and the full run of the river, um, oh, that's really exciting. Have. So we could come yeah. down in 10, 15, 20 years' time. Exactly. I'm a very old man and uh, watch, the, watch the sort of surging. The fish surging up river. That's what we're all hoping for and we're all looking forward to. And, and it's good that you said you put that sort of time frame on it because we do have to think about several generations of fish to get this established. Yeah. Uh-huh. Shads are repeat spawners um, and they can spawn up to five times. And they in, st- a, in a single year? No, sorry, uh, over, over about f- five years. Oh, OK, years. so they get not like salmon, which get one or two goes exactly it. yeah, yeah. Um, but one thing we have learned is they do seem to return to the same sites to spawn so we are relying really on the virgin shad coming into the river who haven't spawned before to go that little bit further I and see. then think this is a good place to spawn and then the next year that's where they'll head back to Whereas the shad that come onto the river, even now we've unlocked it, if they've previously spawned lower down, that will be their tendency okay. to spawn there again. They, they get sort of imprinted on that, um, that location. Exactly. We're just going through a lovely buttercup meadow and dandelions and a few butterflies flitting around, but we, we can see the river. It's just here. So, so you're, you're monitoring the populations, aren't you? You're counting them as they come up. Yeah, this is where the work that Alice does with our volunteers is, is really important because how do you get a sense of how many fish are coming onto the river? Yeah. Um, and one of the best ways and the most repeatable ways that, w- that we do it is that we um, take sample observations at this point in the river and then that's data that we put into a model to calculate the, the total run that year at that point in the river and then we can compare that year on year. So how do you take an observation of a fish that swims below the surface? Obviously, like all fish, most fish anyway, swims beneath the surface in quite a murky river. Yeah, so the, uh, the knops that Jenny mentioned that's put in at this weir, uh, there's sort of two observation boards so across notch. it. Yeah. So it's a yeah. Well, we'll see that in a minute, but was that something you guys have put in? Or is that something that was always part the not- of the... The notch has always been part of the weir, actually, right. um, ever since it was so built. that was an enlightened weir. <laughs> yes. I think they probably put it in for salmon, but it's a little bit lost in the midst of time. I see, I see. But there's Alice, there's yeah. two sort of whiteboards um, that we'll see in a minute that are right across the, uh, the width of the notch, and that allows us to see fish as they pass over them oh, a bit brilliant. more visibly okay. than them just going over the, okay. the sort of stone surface. Um, and yeah, so the volunteers can stand on the bank side uh, and they can literally just watch the fish as they come through and count them. Wow, what a job. So you can just sit, I suppose you've got to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's we not like to... a relaxing sit by the river. No, to... well, no, some of them say it's really nice and relaxing being down here. Well, I would love it. <laughs> I, would, I would swap in an instant for a few days a week. And I think Balance. it really depends on the number of fish that they're seeing coming through as well. If yeah. they're coming through in a sort of a steady flow then obviously that requires more concentration yeah. um, to try and count the right number um, they are a shoaling fish so okay. when they're coming through in numbers yeah, you get a sense that they're probably grouping together so at the time at the moment we're just seeing a few odd individuals aren't we Alice but yeah. when the run re- is really established then they'll be moving in in a greater bulk. So we're a little bit early for the run, are we, this year? We? Yes. So it's a, it's a combination of factors as to when the run starts. The water temperature is key, but there's this interrelationship with the water temperature and the tides. Um, and we've just had a set of high tides, but the river's been a bit too cool for it to really get established. So we think the bulk of the run will probably kick in with the next high tide. So, uh, now these shad, Twait shad, they're not just native to... The river Severn. Are there other are are British rivers that they they flood? They swim up the Wye. Yes, they swim up the Wye, the Usk, and the Towie. Right, and is that pretty much it? So yeah, they're channel they're channeling into the predominantly into the Severn estuary. I see. Um, Do they go to you know, French rivers as well, or is yeah, it? Yeah, so? so we're at the top end of the Twait Shad's range in Europe. Yeah. Um, so yes, they they go into France and Portugal. Um, Right, so, so yeah. all, the, all the Atlantic-facing rivers have yes. some sort of population of these migration fish. There's a cormorant going overhead, just heading upstream. 
Um, We're looking downstream um, in the approach to the weir. Um, so we do wish that the fish could read the, the navigation boards and yes. we'd have less work to do. So, nice, so difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we've just paused at one of the um, information boards about the, the, the animals and the wildlife on the river here because I wanted to show you this picture of the, the oh, mayfish the, the as leaf. it was locally known. Gosh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's a particularly good photo of the kind of catching the iridescence of the... Of the but there it is, it is. So um, the things that we look out for when we're, they're crossing the notch are the forked tail um, and this kind of streamlined shape. And you wouldn't normally be able to observe from the riverbank, but we do also have these dots, which are quite distinctive It's very as well. pretty fish. It yeah. is a pretty yeah. fish. The majority of the run is typically in May, um, and they would be known locally as Mayfish. And they'll spawn in as soon as they've found their spawning grounds and then head back out to sea? That's right. They, they spend on average about four weeks in the river. Um, our monitoring studies have been able to show that because in addition to the citizen science counting, we also have one arm of our monitoring which is about tagging individual shad and then monitoring their movements on the river and that's been so insightful. Gosh, that must be really interesting, really? watching them as they, as they... What do you, how do you do it though? So we actually um, catch uh, shad, this is a good location, they have a big trap that they put into the water um, upstream just in front of the notch um, and they tell each other, the scientists tell when the shad's about to come up and then they can shut the trap. And then they take that individual very carefully, um, take some measurements and insert a very small acoustic tag. And then there's a single... Where does that go? Into the... Into the, into the belly of the fish oh, with right. a single suture. Um, and then get them back in the water as, as quickly as we can. Well, it was one of the things that we really had to be very careful. So initial studies were just to check that this was a safe procedure to do, but it's, it's proved to be absolutely fine. Yeah, well, I suppose also if it, if it enables thousands more shad to, to be protected and it sort of seems to me the balance is exactly. worth, worth Yeah, it. and we, we, you know, because we can then monitor their behaviour, we can see that they go on to have a pretty normal um, behaviour on the river after they've been tagged. So yeah, OK, that's really it's good reassuring. This is a lovely spot. But does the, the lock along. is somewhere else, is it? Is that where, where's yeah. Uh, okay. There's a. You can see the end of it just there. Oh uh, right, I got you. That's fascinating. So there's a little house, small holding on the island. Would have been a little lock keeper's cottage. Fabulous! What a place to live. <laughs> oh, heron. <laughs> there's a heron at the bottom of the notch. So. And a female brimstone butterfly. Listen to the sound of the river surging through the notch. And the heron has just decided to perch in the middle of the weir rather handsomely. So we could see anything swim up here. You can probably get quite quite a good sight of it making a run up there. Yeah. The weir itself is I don't know, like 12 feet, 10 feet. The, sort of the, the flow and then this notch is four or five feet wide. That's right, yeah. And the, the weirs, um, all the weirs that we're working with on the River Seven are actually angled across the river. Yeah. And it's super helpful for us when we're putting in fish passes uh, because at any point at which the fish reach the rear, re sorry, reach the weir, they'll tend to keep trying to swim upstream even when they put a barrier. So it's going to channel them into the upstream end. Uh, gotcha. So we know that that's the best place to put in a passage solution, like a fish pass. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if the weirs were straight across the river, it would be more challenging for the fish to actually find the fish pass because you'd have a dilemma of where exactly do yes. you put it. And is that sort of, I mean, why were they built diagonally originally? Was that just about the flow of the river? Or was it... It's a really good question. To be absolutely honest, I'm not, I'm not sure on that. Um, but then weirs aren't always, yeah. It, it's not, weirs aren't always built, but all the ones on the seven are built in this way, so. How many weirs are there then? So there's four big weirs further upstream from here where we put in new fish passes. And then there's this weir and um, a few others down. There's two in Gloucester that the fish have to get over that are the water high tides overtop the weir. So the fish have to wait until the tidal conditions are right at those weirs before they can so go they're over. Not a, they're not a major problem. They're not a major problem. They do cause a delay. Mm. Uh, but when you consider the, the huge efforts that have to go in to create the big enough 
fish passes because this is a big river. Yeah. The fish passes are big. You will see later. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it wasn't necessary in those locations in a way that it absolutely is further up river. The sort of participatory, participatory element when we bring people here, we have brought school groups to this site in the past, is the sort of cheering that you do for the fish approaching the weir. Um, because they don't all make it over on the first pass. Oh, really? So you get really invested. You want to see them, you know, make it all the way. Yeah, it's quite a float. I mean, yeah, it's really it's quite a... You've got to, be, got to swim strongly against it. How far inland, how far upriver do these fish go? Well, historical records, we even have records of shad um, recorded as far as, um, almost as Welsh pool, so in the Welsh oh, borders. Really? So it really is like an, a very epic migration that these fish would have taken historically. Um, they can travel long distances to spawn, but the, the, the really good habitat comes in, um, you know, in the Shropshire part of the river. So well, that's where we're focused morning. on. Good morning. Getting the, the fish. So that's quite a long way. It's yes. Another sort of 50, 60 miles. So. Exactly, yeah. How, so, how, so, yes, that's how many weirs do you have to tackle them between here and. So, they have a choice of two channels to get around Gloucester, and each one of them has a weir, and then they have this upper load weir just by Tewkesbury, and then the next weir that they get to is the Diglas weir um, in Worcester, mm -hmm. and that's the one that's been the, the main barrier for, for nearly 180 years. So, you've got now. a real, the one key suspect in the whole problem. And then it would be no good just unlocking that one because after the Diglas weir, there's three further weirs on the way to Stourport. So all of those we put fish, fish passes next to as well. Right, okay. Gosh, it's a big project. Um, it does impact on the fishing. So that's been one of the more contentious um, areas. I mean, the long term, it's, gonna, it's for the health of all the fish on the river and better fish populations. But in the short term, it does affect where the fish sit, where previously they've been stuck, you know, in front of barriers, they can now pass through much more easily. So, you know, I, I think obviously it's been important that we share information and, yeah. and talk to people. But yeah, we have had you different say there feedback. There can be more fish for you in a few years' time. Exactly. That seems like a good. <laughs> yeah. A good, uh, and if if you you know if you want to come and spend time fishing by the river, then. You know, most people, the, the ecology and the wildlife is part of that experience. Yes, so, because sure. one of the questions we do often get about the fish passes is about predation, and that tends to come from anglers. Oh, really? They um, think that, yeah, they're concerned. The predators will hang out by the fish passes. Yeah, but the thing that it doesn't really account for is that, as you can see with this heron, there's no fish pass in this location. The barriers themselves create a good place for predators yeah. to, because they've got sitting targets in fish trapped on the downstream side of the barrier. Yeah, and any sort of rapids on the river are where the herons are. So almost a universal story of support and, and, and good, goodwill, really. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we really are thankful. And the volunteers have played a huge role in the project. It's, it is a, it's a massive project and the um, scale of it and the ambition of it. So we do rely on people giving their time freely to contribute to the citizen science. And, and more recently, we have a, volunteers involved in showing people the fish pass in Worcester. So, yeah, there's lots of different ways that people have actively contributed. What is the cost of the overall project? Is it sort of an ongoing thing? It, the headline figure is <laughs> it's, it's a £20 million project. Okay. So our main funders are the National Lottery Heritage Fund and the eLife programme. Um, we've also had other uh, supporters, the Waterloo Foundation and the partners have also su supported in a, in a smaller way and obviously hugely with organisational resources. Some EU money has gone into this as well. Yes, that's right. Has that right. been affected by changes to our relationship with the EU? Or? Well, we, it, you know, it was all very uncertain in, um, when Brexit was being discussed. Um, there was an undertaking that with, if we had a smooth exit, that the funding would stream would carry on for the length of the project, and that luckily is what's happened. But it's, it's very sad for everyone involved. We have colleagues across Europe involved in similar projects and other habitat projects, and we felt part of a massive network, and that obviously has now come to an end being part of the EU life habitats programmes going forward. So that is... Sadness. This little scratchy song of the white throat. And the orange tip is sort of perfect mayflower. All these things coming together. The blackbird. Just that little scratchy. Just arrived. 
Lovely to get first one for me this one. First day of them for me this year. For me, it's um, it's really important that people relearn the mayfish as much as you know we have the may blossom of the hawthorn yeah. and the mayflies. I want to get people thinking about the mayfish as mayfish. well. Mayfish, that's a really nice idea. Well. Yeah, I'm very excited. I can't uh, I sort of want to accelerate time, although I don't want to get any older. But it really, it's really exciting that there's almost nothing stopping them rebuilding their numbers to sort of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, with a bit of luck. So, well, spawning was the key issue then. Was there some? You said there's some interesting tales of spawning. That... And like Stanley mentioned, they're quite particular in the conditions that they want for spawning, um, ideally over gravel beds where they can find. Right. Okay. Um, so the historic spawning grounds would have been up in Welsh Pool area. Um, so but that's they, high up the river. Yeah, seven. high For those up. who don't know, the, that's deep. Well, it's all Welsh borders, isn't it? Welsh yeah. Pool, it's not yeah. far from the Welsh border. I think there would have been lots of good sites through the upper all reaches. Along. Right, yeah, right. Up, up towards that. That's, that's the kind of maximal extent of where we have rest. Um, and they spawn at night. Yeah, so alongside the monitoring we're doing down here in Tewkesbury to, to count them as they come over up a load, we're going to be doing some nighttime spawning monitoring just <laughs> right. north of Worcester. Um, Gosh, can so I the, come? <laughs> <laughs> they, well, they, they're going to be doing it between 11 and 2, so right. 11 at night really and 2 in the morning. Really, hours, yeah. yeah. Um, so if you're game, then do, yeah. come along. Wow. <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel some bound to do it. <laughs> just looking across this meadow, this ham, it's called ham, is that right? Yes, that's is that, right. Is that very much a seven thing? Or is it, okay, there are like, other like water- hams, aren't there? I assume it means water meadow, yeah. but... Looking towards Tewkesbury Abbey, which is very grand. Very nice town Tewkesbury, actually, just a quick little walk through. But, so this is a very lovely scene to be, to be sort of taking in on a, on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I should be at my computer. Um, so, so you're monitoring at night yep. in the small hours? Yep. So the reason we can do that nighttime monitoring is because when shad spawn, uh, the females release their eggs in the upper water column yeah. and the males circulate them. And as they do, they do that, they create this distinctive splashing sound. So it's the splashing sound that we're listening for when we go out at night. Tell you what, can I send you a recorder and you yep. record me the splashing sound? Absolutely. Of... Great. <laughs> That will save me. <laughs> Much as I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. Uh, but, you know, yeah. The, yeah, the the male and the female swim around each other in a tight circle, like this, like a, sort of a dog chasing its tail. Right. And it creates this splashing, splashing noise. Oh, End up in the river here, so we're going across these narrow lock bridges. And we've been joined by Corin. Yes, Corin. Corin. Also works for the Unlocking the Seven project. Thank you. And how yes. long have you been working on? So I've been working on the project since June. Okay. Um, it's gone very quickly, I must admit, but it's been so much fun. Before we go in, do you want me to tell you where we are and what this? Yes, this would be great to know. Um, obviously, we've driven up from Tewkesbury to Worcester, but and now we're in the sort of we're back on the set. Yeah, we're we're just on the outskirts of the city of Worcester. Um, in quite an industrial location, we have a kind of industrial park on one side of the river, um, and then I'm going to take you around and give you a glimpse of the other side of the river. But we've stepped across the lock gates now, and we're on the man-made island in the middle of a seven, and we're looking at this Victorian workshop building, which has been restored as part of our project. So this would originally have been used to manufacture the huge lock gates um, and some other elements used in the network. And it's all on an island. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> And people, local people have been really excited when we've been able, as part of the project, to bring them onto this island because a lot of people walk past this path and it's always had this slightly secretive air, this island sort of yeah. in the river. We've so We've got picnic tables here. So people, I mean, there were no entry signs, but people can come on here on, on rare occasions. Though. What they can do is they can book a visit. So oh, they book a tour that starts here, they get to see this island and the workshop, and then we walk around um, and over the footbridge and take them to the fish pass on the other side. So again, it's that transition of uh, noise we're going to experience again. Nice and quiet on this side, and then we'll hear the water rushing over the weir on the other side. And are there, so unlocking the seven, I saw the Canal River Trust people there. 
are there, are there several organisations involved? Or? Yes, it's, it's a complex project and we have four partners involved. So Canal River Trust, Seven Rivers Trust, the Environment Agency and Natural England. Um, and this asset is a Canal and River Trust asset and Canal and River Trust have taken the lead in actually building these fish passes. Right. So you can hear the roar of the river here. And this is, this is, the weir, this is Diglis Weir. Though. That's Diglis Weir, yeah. It's about two metres from the top of the crest to the toe. You can see it's oh, a so bigger yes. weir yes. than yes. Yes, Tewkesbury. And you can see the, the head drop, so the difference in river level. The river's actually really low today. You don't normally see that much of the skirt exposed of the, at the bottom of the weir. It's really substantial, so that barrier to fish so is the significant. The whole width of the river here, apart from the lock the other side, is it's completely... Um, and what you... In the, in the autumn time, when before we built the fish pass and you'd see the salmon trying to pass here, um, it's quite heartbreaking, really, because you'd see them it's such a long run and you'd see them attempt it and get halfway up and fall down and do it again and again and again Exhaust themselves. each time using up energy sustaining injuries you know even for fish that can clear these barriers it's really bad news they shouldn't be having to extend this amount of effort this far down the river to get over obstacles yeah, yeah, yeah. yes because they've already swum quite a long way to get there do they then shout do they like most fish they'll eat anything that they can get their mouths around they they eat yeah they um eat other small fish, but they're not feeding on the river system when they're in the river. So they're literally not they're not using up any resources. Exactly, they're just, they're just bringing resources into the yeah. river, and all these migratory fish are it, you know it's part of the ecosystem we don't often think about. We know the rivers take the water from the you know from far inland and carry nutrients out to the sea, but the fi- these migrating fish is an exchange of nutrients. They're bringing nitrogen from the sea back up into the, the terrestrial system so now that structure on the other side that's the, that's that's the, fish, the fish pass, pass. Okay, so, it looks so it's a hundred meters long it's a really big structure yeah. and you can see here at the bottom of the weir is the is the is the outflow actually from the fish pass and right at the top where that box is is where the fish are swimming out and that's where we can go down into our viewing gallery that's amazing i mean it is a massive piece of engineering and here's a bit of a song of the weir approaching the weir from the other side and we can see up the fish part oh okay it's got an interesting structure inside so it's like a, a gateway yes two we, sort of opening pillars and then you can see the uh, c sections in the middle of the pass yeah. so what the pass is is it's a basically a series of 10 steps or pools mm. each one 20 centimeters higher than the last one um, and those structures are what kind of breaks up the flow so that we can put in a stairway that breaks the one big jump from the bottom of the weir to the top into a manageable set yeah, of steps it's, it's, for the it's fish. It's almost like pinball. You could see a fire. I mean, it looks a little bit like that. It does look a bit like that, yeah. We, me, anyway. we work really hard to try and make sure that the water isn't too turbulent for the fish. That's one of the key aspects. It's, it's cups to hold the fish and then passages either side so they can reach those cups and then, then beyond, and then we're at the top. And down the sides, there's two channels on either side of the structure that the fish move through. And that's really important as well. They're the augmentation channels. And they're carrying extra water through the pass. Because in order for the fish to find the fish pass, there needs to be a strong outflow of water. Ah, But the more water we push through it, the more faster and turbulent it goes. So if we push it down the edge of the pass, away from the fish, and then mix it down in at the bottom, it helps the fish find the pass whilst... And they go, this is the strongest bit, this is where I'm going to have exactly. the most chance of getting up. Yeah, they're, they're following so the flow the of the river. research into how fish think and approach... We it. need to think like a fish, yes. <laughs> oh, this is great. So these are the pools. Yeah, it's a very good diagram here of um, how they... It's 11 ascending pools. And that, the, this one is the top one. So here we are. We're in the top of the viewing gallery and we've got a flight of stairs to come down. Going into the river, sort of. Yes, into the, into beneath the, the surface. This is very exciting. So they'll swim right past here? Yeah. 
So you can wow, see the difference huge. in the two windows. We've got an LED lighting panel behind mm. this, which helps us record the film footage. Um, so it can be quite a murky river, the Severn, so yeah, it really yeah, helps sure. us. And then this one just looks out into the... This is a bit yeah, green. it can be quite a good spotting window to see them before so they come something's through. Something's coming, okay. So we could just sit and wait. Yeah. Quite easily spend hours in there just watching yeah, just that waiting. Yeah. It's hard to believe anything's going to swim by at the moment, <laughs> but uh, it's about two metres. That's a little yeah, bit more than two, two metres. Yeah, about 2.5 metres. There's a bit of debris going downstream. So people can book a session here, is that right? Come on. That's right, yes. We, um, during when we started, um, it was a tour that they book off the island and then coming to see the fish pass because there weren't that many fish moving at that point mm -hmm. and during May we're focusing the tours on the fish pass itself and then from June we're going to have the kind of combined tour again as uh, some of the main spawning migrations will have slowed down a little bit okay. later in the summer because all of these fish are, are making spawning movements on the river yeah. just not as fast as our shad yeah, and probably small, just smaller distances, just heading up from feeding grounds to spawning grounds. Exactly, and they're, they're, I guess they're tr trying it out in ways that they haven't previously had easy access to. Um, but we do also have some, some other key endangered migratory fish species that are using the pass. So we're really excited about the river lamprey and the sea lamprey using the, using the pass, because yeah. um, they also are very endangered. In Is there something coming? Oh, yes. It's two little fish. Now, you're the fish expert. Are these? What are these? They look like bleak or dace to me. Little silver fish. Oh, they, they sort of came. Oh, yeah, and just shot and bleak, gone. Bleak, bleak, yeah. Just shot back. I've ever seen bleak. Past the window. Wow, okay. So we've seen some fish. Yes. The the license of fish. You've seen lots of fish. A little teaser of fish coming yeah. across the window. They thought about it, isn't that me? Ones are having a, a think before they come through, but it's yeah. very reassuring that we're seeing such a wide range of fishes in the past, including some really small fish. So it's showing that they it, can get up through that, that exactly. current on there. Oh gosh, I'm really, yeah, as someone who loves fish but never sees them from the side apart from my fish tank. This is like having a sort of brilliant fish tank. You never know what's going to turn up. And it's totally wild as well. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah I'm a bit bored of my goldfish. <laughs> so. Oh, they're just in the far window now. Oh, you can see. Yeah, about 15 fish yeah, poking their little nose snouts up. I have to swim quite hard against the current. Here they go. They <laughs> got shy again. They know you're recording, I know. They got halfway <laughs> and then they... <laughs> thought they'd hang out in the fish pass for a little bit longer. We did have a barbel that was living in that corner for mm. a few weeks. Oh, really? That was children in the job. autumn. Yeah, he was just chilling at the bottom of the window. The school right. kids just, just were, doing yeah, were fascinated. It's, it's a nice environment. It's very calm and quite sort of. Yeah, you've got the lighting. Light, the lighting's lovely in here as well. You've got the sort of watery uh, reflective lights, which make it quite. That's very tranquil. Here they come again. Maybe. Yeah. This, this is a pioneer who's really pushing forward this time, and then the rest of them. Are, oh, it's, it's it's painful to watch. Oh, and you can get. There he's gone. Two gone. Three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Just have to decide that they want to. Seventeen and one didn't make it. One snuck back. Oh, like a perch. Is, is that a perch? Yeah, I think that is a perch. It was quite big. I'm trying. Oh yeah, little oh, tail. Yeah, there was something with a much bigger tail fin. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, it just disappeared back into the murk. Looks like a big sweeping tail fin, but it might be just my, my, my hopeful imagination. <laughs> Will we see it past the big window? I've got to tell that big tail fin was, and maybe it just sort of. Oh, here he comes. 
quite, going quite low. Yeah. There's red fins and stripes. Wonderful. So it hasn't taken long for us to see a few fish. It's quite, uh, quite reliable then. <laughs> I think the element of uh, luck about it makes it all the more exciting when you do, do see them coming through. Yeah. That's definitely part of it, isn't it? It's the fact that you might not see anything. It's like yeah, any sort of wildlife watching, mostly ends in disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen many salmon lately, it's not on the board. No, not for the last week or two. Um, no pike either. It's 14.7 degrees, the water. Is that too warm for? Um, I think from what Charles was saying, the fish, different fish migrate to different temperatures, so I think we've kind of. Um, maybe the things like the roach have kind of gone through at the moment, mm. the larger numbers that they were. Yeah, the pike in the days of the first two. Yeah. So that, yeah, it probably started to move on. Mark, you work for. You're part of this project. Yes, yes, I'm um, part on the Unlocking the Seven project um, through Calm River Trust as the informal learning interpretation officer or visitor experience person. Inviting people onto the island and doing the tours. Yeah, so we were sort of saying what a wonderful job that is that you get to hang out on an island in the River Seven and show people fish and wildlife. Oh, I haven't seen that before. That roach going back downstream. Coming in the opposite right. direction. That is the first time I've ever seen that. Although it's all roach. They so look like roach with their red yeah. fins, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. But maybe that's because the water level's so low, it's less easy for them to overcrest the weir at the moment. So they're coming through this way? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was a big shoal of roach, it just sort of tumbled backwards down, down the stream. Are they just moving up and down for whatever reasons? Though? Who knows what roach think? But, um, <laughs> So you spend your summers on the island? Um, and the winter's wrapped up warm. Um, Do you live there? <laughs> it feels like it's some days and some weeks yeah. uh, with all the tours that we do, but it's great getting so many people, yeah. um, seeing the project and coming down to the fish pass. So it's really enjoyable. And what's the most extraordinary thing you've seen come through here? It doesn't um, have to be a fish. I think it probably is uh, the salmon, just because they're so majestic and amazing and so big. Um, had a few random things like tennis balls and carrier bags, which in October and November, when that's the only thing going through, you have to get a lot of excitement <laughs> the group saying, oh, look, you've just seen the tennis ball. That's the first this, this yeah, year yeah. kind of thing. Um, it's the season for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Probably June is the season. We do have some wonderful footage from the cameras of um, the otter in the past as well. Oh, really? It's you really had an otter through. come through? It yeah. comes through this window as well. Yeah, it does the acrobatics for the oh, camera. this feeling with the fish when they see how much effort particularly the smaller ones have to put in and they're really rooting for them to kind of get past they can't there's a part of them wanting them to stay in the window so they can admire them and enjoy them but there's a part of them that is like come on you need to make it get through and yes. really struggle particularly when they kind of get washed back slightly and then have to put that effort in again they to are really forward. little fish yes yeah. and when we did the open days last week we had a lot more children in the children were kind of cheering when they got through those that's a real kind of that's really sweet yeah the shad when they come through the window tend not to hang about they're on a mission yeah they come through pretty quick there's something on their minds yeah, yeah. the salmon are funny when they they come through the window they come through tends to be more slowly and um because they're sort of forcing the water over their gills they they doing this really and making, moving their mouth parts which they, and they look so grumpy as well so oh, wow. it's like they're sort of mouthing un, unspeakables at you as they come past it's really good and, and some just got to hang on the only consolation for the people on the tours i say is that they're in good company because princess Anne, when she opened the project yeah. was down here for 20 minutes she didn't see any 
nothing at all. She had her back to the window when one went past, so she missed that. And then a second one swam past just as she was on the top step okay. leaving, so hopefully that doesn't make me feel quite as bad. <laughs> Tours are offered completely free, um, thanks to the you know the funding from the National Lottery Her National Lottery Heritage Fund, and also the support of our volunteers because it's volunteer tour guides that are giving these tours. Right, gosh, yeah. fish fish lovers and yeah. fish they, lovers and heritage yeah, buffs. Quite a mix, but you know they just get so involved in the project and everything that they you know um, just buzzing with it and wanting to learn more and they go off and do their own little bit of research and then share it with the rest of the group on the WhatsApp group and it's really lovely to see their enthusiasm. Um, They're able to share lots of the human stories with the river as well which is an important part of the mix. And another gang summing up the courage to come through. Mm. Even smaller these ones. Yeah. Brilliant, thank you so much, you really interesting. And, uh, Beautiful. This poor bleak just gave up today. For now, I think so. I'll be back later. Yeah. Jenny, thank you for sharing all your insights on this wonderful uh, day out on the river and my story of hope for the shad. May it be a really good shad season. I'm definitely going to try and come back and like record a, a live shad on the podcast. I think that would be dream come true. <laughs> Please do. We'd love to see you. Perfect. Thank you. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. And I could have stayed watching those fish in the fish pass for, well, forever. It was wonderful. What a wonderful experience. And so brilliant to see such a positive conservation project working. And I wish them all the best of luck. And hopefully we'll go back there and watch the fish passing, in, watch those tweet shad passing in the hundreds of thousands in a few years' time. But somewhere else, I don't really want to leave. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I'm, in pub, I'm in a pub with Jack, and this is where we're going to do our podcast chat today. Jack, we are. We're on the road. We're on the road. Um, we're actually, we are in a country pub on the, on the Gwent Levels, and we are here because we've been out experimenting with microphones and sounds. We have indeed. It's been great having Jack along to run, well, just to... Just because normally I'm out recording on my own, so it's been great having a professional along and just experimenting. Um, so, Jack, how have you found it? It's been it's been a lovely day. We've, we've I think we've seen everything. We've seen woodland. We've gone through brambles. We've seen a, a somewhat empty reservoir. We've seen the the flatlands, and uh, we're back in our nice, lovely pub. We are. We've we've travelled a long way to find this pub. It's a Friday, and we could not find an open pub for miles so we we've, we've we've decided we got hungry after recording lots of lovely birdsong in we've been in Wentwood which is Wales's largest ancient woodland thousand hectares and we've only sort of dabbled around for a few hours but it was great fun sort of exploring but then we got hungry and had to leave uh, because we were led by our stomachs but don't find anywhere <laughs> so we've ended up on the Gwent Levels in a lovely pub called the Rose where they've just served Jack well you can describe oh, it. oh my goodness me it, uh, it was a large Yorkshire pudding with sausage mash and peas and gravy all over it for my goodness it was it was large they weren't they weren't joking and I'm very warm <laughs> Jack is sort of red cheeked uh, and it's not the beer but uh, it, uh, yes, a very, very, very fine pub lunch. And perhaps we also do a podcast on what is the best possible pub lunch. Please do send us your recommendations. <laughs> I had a lovely lamb stew being in Wales, which, uh, cowl, C-A-W-L, um, which was 
delicious and so needed. And once you've been trembling, because we, 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 we set off into the brambles at my instigation because there was an alarm call yeah. from a bird, and that normally means there's something very exciting to see. Uh, but it meant that we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time on we, Indiana Jones. We became deers. We, yeah, we were. <laughs> we were following these tracks and trails through the undergrowth, scratched by bramble and briar and all sorts. And in the end, it was a woodpecker caught, shouting at a jay, which is still cool. It's still cool. cool. But, uh, um, but uh, we're very welcome. I, I think we should do more podcasts mm. in pubs. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've missed a tree. It's, it's worked out nice. Uh, I've gone from being a little bit chilly to having to take most of my clothes off because now I'm, I'm comfortably warm. I, I, I can say for the, for the benefit of this is Jack isn't totally naked. No, 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 no. <laughs> far, far less clad than he was when he came in. From the, it's middle of May and very cold. So we've actually captured the sounds of wind in different trees, which mm. is quite an amazing there was a few bits which it was really an odd sensation because we, we couldn't feel the wind on us we were quite sheltered but the wind running through the different trees made it feel like it should be really windy yeah. and I, yeah, it's bizarre but really quite incredible yeah quite nice to, yeah, that's one of the things often we find one of the big, our biggest enemy is wind uh, they say that in a, in a natural mm. way not uh, <laughs> post pub lunch but um, it, is, it makes it very difficult to record outside and you know, Britain, Wales where, we're, where, we, where we are out recording a lot can be very windy so we are quite always trying to work out how to record so I'm very grateful Jackson <laughs> technical skills are better than mine. So that's what we've been up to today, just out exploring recording soundscapes, which um, Hannah, who isn't here with us today, she presents and helps produce those. Lots more lovely, mindful works and adventures in the countryside to come. And as you can hear, this is a fully working process. That wasn't wind. <laughs> it's a squeaky door. It's, it's the perfect pub you want mm. to stumble across after a, a hard day's recording or walking or anything. And um, so, yes, highly, we, we'd like to say a big thank you to the Rose mm. in Redwood for hosting us. Great food, great lovely food, staff. And the beer is still doing its job. So. And, well, look, thank you very much for listening. Do go and visit the Diglis Fish Pass uh, with the Unlocking the Seven. The, the work of unlocking the seven. It's in Worcester. So it just remains for me to say a huge thank you to Jenny Hermely for inviting me up and telling me all about the Unlocking the Seven project. And I totally recommend going down to have a look at the fish pass and the fish viewing window. And you can find times at the Unlocking the Seven website. So have a look there and we will put some more details in the description of this podcast. But also, it's, I'd like to say a big thank you to Jack for having me along today. Jack, cheers. Pleasure, it's cheers. Great fun. Join us again next week. We'll be out in the countryside enjoying another wild adventure. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>